1: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam.
2: Sam, first of all, happy birthday, and how are you doing? (laughs) I didn't expect you to do that. I am doing (laughs) very well, Mike. Thank you very much. Um, Yes, I share a birthday with Devin Booker, so we were both celebrating over the weekend. Um, And yeah, happy to be back here after a a perfect week for the Suns, a 4-0 week where we get to talk about what is currently statistically the best team in the nba so couldn't be better no complaints
1: since we last recorded the suns beat the clippers by 17 beat the warriors by 29 beat the shorthanded pelicans by 13 and beat the rockets by 15 all wins they are now five and one top of the western conference probably close to the best record of the league in the league if not the best uh one quick question Do you know what their vibes per thirty
2: six is right now? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but more importantly, it uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I guess the vibes are pretty good, though. I'd say yeah, I'd say they're pretty good. You know, I couldn't exactly put a number to it, but I'd have to say they're they're pretty high. The amount of advanced average for sure. The amount
1: of people that love advanced stats talking about vibes is at least a little bit funny. (laughs) They're like so anti Hooper. Uh, mentality they always make fun of you know guys like that ball don't stop guy and then they
2: then they talk about vibes for the suns well i just i think what's particularly funny here to open the season and and i don't know if you have any greater observations about like the league as a whole that you want to save for later but just like very briefly it's it's not just that the suns are once again awesome which i guess like shouldn't shock anybody but it's also the fact that the west is just so damn weird it is weird right now it's a weird start for for the west yeah the East you looks better talk. right now. I was joking. I mean, people have given me shit in the past for, for being afraid of the Clippers. And the Clippers are in disarray right now. I was joking on Twitter about it earlier today. Like, they look like a bad basketball team. The Warriors, you know, I'm not going to make any, like, profound statements on the state of the Warriors yet. But we did trounce them by 29 points this week. So on their bench just um, looks bad.
1: I mean, obviously they have yeah. Jordan Poole. But outside of that this you know they they just don't really have they're
2: playing a lot of really young guys who are inexperienced. And I mean then you've got the Lakers that like you know that's a given shit show everyone kind of expected that to be a little <laughs> bit worse I think that's, but that's, maybe not as worse yeah, as it has losing
1: been. Losing f- their first 5 games I think was a surprise regardless of how low then- you were on the Lakers
2: and then, you know what, though? Like, they finally won a game last night. And who did they win yeah. against? They won against the Denver Nuggets, yeah. who look like one of the worst. Not, you know, I think they're above water. I think they're above 500, but one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA so far. Yeah. Zach Lowe uh, spinning in his grave over that <laughs> one. So, I don't know. It's just like. I didn't know Zach Lowe the, the, died. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording Apologies this on Halloween, Lowe. so. Grave references are appropriate. Fig- fig- figuratively. <laughs> I'm saying he figuratively died. I'm not trying to spread misinformation here, literally. The point is, the, the West is here. The West is weird, yeah. sorry. And, um, yeah, it's just you can't really talk about vibes with the Suns right now, at least not in any sort of negative way, because so many of these other teams are just taking the, 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 the bullet for us uh, to come out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors... Uh, star
1: players two of them uh, one punched the other <laughs> you know like the, as far as vibes go the Suns took a lot of heat for DeAndre in saying that he hadn't talked to Monty Williams uh as far as vibes go and I think the Warriors rightfully so I think have earned some uh leeway when it comes to that but I would say that teammates punching each other is worse as far as vibes go and that seems to be translating to the court a little bit not that it's those guys fault i mean jordan bull has been amazing if you watch the warriors so far but um i do feel the need to say that just right off the bat so that we don't have to say this over and over again small sample size for anything that we talk about so far and we yada, all know yada, that yada, this yada. is just something it's we have given. to say i don't want to have to yeah. say it every time i bring up a stat so far but I I wonder, and I think I've been thinking about it from my perspective because I I probably pretty stupidly said under for the wins total on our over-under podcast trying to be too clever. Um, But have we seen enough by the Suns just in these six games to reset expectations on what we think they could be this season so far? Or is it too early to say in your mind? Because I feel like, I'll I'll say from my perspective, being that I picked under – Already, I'm like, I should have picked <laughs> over. <I should've, laughs> you feel the <laughs> pressure. should have yeah. just picked well, over. I picked over, right? Yeah, you did. You were the only one. Anymore. Yeah, me Me and Max What's,
2: were scared away by the bench in preseason, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, and and I still understand. Like, I think, to an extent, based on what we've seen, the bench right now is very much being carried. I guess maybe we should talk about this later. Yeah, we, no, no, we'll get to that. Yeah. by, you know, a, 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 a figure... I'll tease it for you so that we don't have to (laughs) one particular figure who is having a resurgent season, I think on the bench so far with his play. Um, But no, I like just based on where I was, I don't think I have to reset anything. I think I always expected this team to, 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 to continue to be good in the regular season. I guess what you could say maybe is that like, I didn't know that they would come out of the gate this hot so soon. Like maybe it would take a little bit of time in the wake of, Oh, we don't have Jay Crowder to rely on defensively anymore. Um, we've got some new pieces on the bench uh we didn't know exactly where deandre's headspace uh, mm-hmm. was i guess a couple weeks ago now i have absolutely no worries about that right but i guess maybe we, i i thought it would take some time to figure that stuff out uh but no no time wasted i mean it's you know it's not just the fact that they're five and one because obviously six games like you said it's not a lot of games yeah. in, in the grand scheme uh but also just they're beating good teams. And with the young you know, guys, be-
1: you know? I mean, Chris yeah. Paul's... I'm not going to say that Chris Paul's being, like, bad or anything. He had 15 assists last night. Uh, and zero turnovers. And zero turnovers. But he he's not out there. Like, they're not doing the thing that they did in, in last season where Chris Paul shot six mid-range jumpers in a row in the fourth quarter to put every team away. It's no. everyone right now. It's all the young guys working together to, uh, to win. And obviously, we should preface this by saying deandre is out for at least a week as far as we know so right now the only team they played since then was well the second half of the pelicans game shorthanded pelicans they basically finished that one off without deandre and in in, for the majority of the game and then he was out in the rockets game and then he'll be out i think the next game is the timberwolves which will be interesting Mm -hmm. we can talk about that a little bit later but he'll definitely be out for that one, and probably the next few games as well. So we'll see how that goes. But beyond that, just talking about the last four games in general, Mikael Bridges is playing well. Devin Booker, Devin Booker, twenty nine points per game right now. He's averaging, which is one of the best in the NBA, of course. Six point eight free throw attempts, which is something that we have talked about a lot when it comes to. Devin Booker, 5.5 assists per game, only 2.7 turnovers, and all of that combined with the three-point shooting that he's shooting, which is not, you know, the way it was last year, but looks really good so far, is adding up to a 63.3 true shooting percentage, which is insanely high for those who don't fully grasp that, and I think... You know, As far as starts, it's the best start. I think they've called it the best start in Suns history when it comes to scoring better than any start by Charles Barkley, better than any start by Amari Stoudemire or any other players in the past. He's doing more in the first three games is when they let that stat out than any player has done. And I think since then... He's continued it I, um, outside of one. Yeah, Pelicans
2: game was a little rough for him, turnover wise. Was a little rough. I I searched up that stat and posted it as well. After four games, I haven't done it again since then. But actually, do you know who was like the second best start in Suns history after Booker? At least at that point, scoring wise, in terms of points.
3: Uh, yeah, because um,
2: it wasn't it. It Tom wasn't Chambers? Barkley. It wasn't Amari. Wasn't even Tom Chambers. Uh, You'd be really surprised. I don't. I don't think you would get it. Mm, who I'd, was be, it? I'd be. I'd be very surprised. Chris. It was <laughs> not Marquise Chris. <laughs> it was not Alec Peters. It was okay. not uh, okay. Jamal Crawford. No, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it was Charlie Scott. Oh, um, who uh, made a few All Star teams yeah. in the mid seventies for the Suns. Hall of Famer Charlie Scott, uh, combo guard. I think mostly point guard. So he was out there doing it without the, without the three point line. <laughs> Most he was doing likely it without the three point line. That is correct. Wow. He was doing it without the three point line. It was a much different era. Well, no defense. Yeah, no defense Scott. in the seventies. That was
1: <laughs> pretty famously. Uh, that's amazing. I would not have guessed that. But Devin Booker is out there just doing some amazing things so far. I think we we talked about like the concept of Devin Booker's quote unquote quote MVP season, and we're not even saying necessarily that he's going to win MVP or anything if he continues to, because it doesn't really matter. It's all narrative based. It doesn't really matter. The the point that I think you and I were trying to make with him putting it all together for a single season, like when you look back at his career, you're gonna say this is it. This was his best season, and so far he's setting up nicely for that to continue. Like if he keeps playing the way he's playing, which obviously is likely at least in some ways unsustainable, but not really. If you watch how well, what? if you watch how he's been playing, I think he can do some pretty amazing things this season.
2: I mean, if we look at just his stats right now, he's at 53% from the field. That's really high. Yeah. He's never been that high. Yeah. But he is attacking the basket more mm-hmm. than we've seen, at least in the past few years. He's at 36% from deep, and he's at 85% from the free-throw line. I don't think there's immediately an area there that feels unsustainable. Both of those could go up. Um, the three-point the three shooting and the free-throw shooting, I mean, for sure, you pointed out to me last week because I had forgotten that book had a season this was like 4 years ago now but he had a year uh, at 92% yeah. from the free throw line so 85% yeah is is um, it's not a poor season but it's less than his career average for sure that that figure could continue to go mm-hmm. up so i don't know just the way i'm watching him right now like yeah i i think there's this temptation to say well 29 30 points per game it's not sustainable but i don't know man i mean like can you identify a particular portion of his game right now that actually feels like it's it's ripe for regression because I'm not sure I see right one.
1: you know there there is like Devin Booker does go through some cold stretches at times and I think the true. the Pelicans in particular were like really suited to defend him well after playing the Suns in in the playoffs and that did kind of get in his head a little bit but I think it's more likely scenarios like in the Pelicans game where Mikhail Bridges was incredible I think at 27 points on like 11 or 12 shots or something like a very low number of shots um which which in some ways uh, just to go on a tangent here in some ways I love when Mikael Bridges does that and he has 27 points but like I kind of wish there were m- more games where he would have 27 points on like 20 field goal attempts. yeah don't get me don't get me started <laughs> just, just because it's like well then we know he's he's trying to do a little bit more of course every once in a while he's gonna have a game where he makes every shot and takes the same shots that he normally takes um but still a great game for him. But if other guys are just going off in that way, there will be games where Devin Booker doesn't just doesn't need to score that much. And I think that right. in some ways could impact that overall points per game. It's not like the Mavs, for example, were, or the, the the Trailblazers, I think are another good example this year, yeah. where their star players in Luca and Damian Lillard kind of need to be really amazing for them to win. And both of them are capable of doing it. I think there could be games where Devin Booker can be afforded an off night a little bit more because of the supporting cast.
2: Quick tangent on the Mavs. Um, I was looking up touch statistic data for the Suns based on five or six games into the season. I guess six games into the season because I was looking at it this morning. Just to see if I could gather any interesting insights on how the offensive profile of the team has changed. You know, a couple of things are different. Obviously DeAndre Ayton will be in and out of the rotation. He'll, he'll miss the next few games, but also just how they're adapting to generally some young guys getting better, how they're adapting to Jay Crowder, not being in the lineup, yada, yada. We can get to that in a little while, but I was also looking at the Mavs and man, like Luca is averaging. He, he already was like the face of heliocentrism in the NBA, the guy who handles the ball the most. And uh, except for maybe like I don't know, maybe it's competitive between him and Trey Young. But this year, Trey actually, for his part, is handling the ball a lot less because they brought Dejounte Murray into into the Atlanta Hawks right. offense. Right. Luca, meanwhile, he's averaging more touches <laughs> than he was last year. Yeah, and it's just like I—you kind of have to. And I was just—it's in- it's insane what that team is is doing, uh, dude. It's, it's just like a complete joke, a complete ridiculous excuse of like for trying to build a a successful basketball
1: team. It reminds me of the post-Kevin Durant, OKC Thunder, Russell Westbrook narrative MVP season where he just handled the ball in every possession and racked up stats over and over and over and over again. I think Luca's better than uh, Russell Westbrook even that season, so it'll be interesting to see how it turns out for them. But you know he's just going to rack up so many stats just because of the way that team is built and I mean if you're yep. if you're if you're I, a gambler maybe you, you can that MVP is right there. I think he's favored and he was favored before the season even yep. started and it's just obvious why.
2: I mean it's just we're going to have yet another year of this coming. Uh, here we are talking about MVP narratives 6 games in by the way. That, that's where it us, starts. But, I mean really I, that's <laughs> but, how it works. But you can just you can just see it now of he's going to have a 35-10-10 season and the Mavs are going to be 44 and 38 and people are going to be arguing nonstop in March and April about if that's an MVP season or not Um, because the the only times in history that we've seen that type of individual season get rewarded despite not winning that many games it started with Russ in OKC exactly like you were saying and then it kind of got passed on that legacy to Jokic in the past couple Mm. years but yeah we'll see he Luka could set a whole new record there potentially it's going to be interesting the
1: the best player on a mediocre team award i think is what
2: (laughs) it's what i called it it's kind of (laughs) what it's it's kind of what it's becoming and i don't know we'll see man uh we'll see but if book for his part to bring it back to phoenix sun's discourse if he's averaging 36 and 6 uh and you know the suns win 63 games or something then I'm sure we'll be advocating for for his side in that race. And he'd have a good case. We'll <laughs> you know, like yeah, if they're the best yeah, team sure. in the league,
1: which not not to say that they would be, but and he's averaging close to 30 points per game, I don't know that there would ever be a scenario where that's happened without winning an MVP. So, I think he'd have a really good case um in that case. And I think he's just I think for him the determination to drive downhill, get to the rim, get fouled is really important and I think it's clear that that was something that either he came up with on his own or the coaching staff talked to him about before the season started because it just looks like he's determined to do it and I think that's going to be really important but even beyond that I think outside of the Pelicans game where I think they just did a really good job converging every time he drove his decision making has been really great so far this season whether it be making the right passes to open shooters, getting the ball to DeAndre in on the roll, or just shooting the right shots in, in the scenarios where he has to either isolate or come around screens to shoot. And, you know, that's going to be really important for, for the team going forward, especially as we build towards the playoffs, which is, of course, a year away, basically. But it's you have to watch and monitor the types of decisions he makes when different types of defenses are thrown at him because we've seen how the season has ended the last two seasons when it comes to just teams just trapping him over and over and over again. And on that note, let's talk about Mikael Bridges as a screener because I think both of us have been talking about it for two years (laughs) now and they appear to be doing it a lot. I do want to just mention right away that Mikael Bridges is screening a lot in the pick and rolls but mostly, for some reason, with Chris Paul handling the ball. I don't know if you noticed this too, Sam. Not a lot with Devin Booker so far. I don't know if there's a reason for that. I think I would like to see a little bit more with Devin Booker uh, handling the ball there. But what it's resulted in is is Mikael Bridges catching it in the middle of the floor and doing some really interesting things with the ball in the middle of the floor. Mid-range shots, getting to the rim, uh, passing to shooters, lob passes. He had some passes to cutters that didn't always result in buckets but if if he's capable of passing to those cutters that's really important and he appears to be capable mm-hmm. of it and I think it's been a really fun wrinkle to see the Suns actually doing something that they're essentially for those who watch them they're essentially trying to turn him into Draymond Green with what Draymond Green yeah. does for the offense for it's the Warriors
2: a, a more offensively or no he can not shoot more for mid-range talented <laughs> yes uh, a, a more a more skilled no, not you can't say that either. Uh, how a better how I Because yeah, a better score than Draymond yeah. Green. Because look, he's Draymond not as good a of a decision maker. Not as good. You know, the other thing exactly. is not there. But but Draymond as a decision maker is one of the smartest to do it ever. So I don't want to disrespect him, even though I don't particularly like the guy. But I don't want to disrespect his his basketball pedigree. Um, Mikhail has more ways to put the ball in the basket. But I still think it's a, it's a great comparison that you make to draw between the two of them because you can really see exactly what the Suns are trying to do when they put McHale in these situations, leverage his decision-making in a way that, you know, when they, when it's DeAndre Ayton setting that screen, when, when it's Bismack Biombo setting that mm. screen, even. Uh, Bismack like had that seven assist to, game last year. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, in, in general, those guys are trying to get downhill. They're trying to catch in DeAndre's case. He's just going straight up with it in busy's case. Maybe he whips out the uh the, the little seven foot jump hook he has in the short <laughs> roll that does count it's a hook. good. He's made I don't
1: know what to describe that a, shot as. A push shot. It's it, like looks a
2: push like, shot it looks like it looks like the ball
1: weighs a hundred pounds when he shoots <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it basically looks like a shot put. Yeah. But you know what I have noticed a couple times, especially in the past week. If he's like four feet away, like if he's right there but not quite close enough to just lay it in, and he tries that shot, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, once he gets out to like seven, two eight steps. Eight foot range. It's and just he tries two it, steps is all it takes. And it's like, he can't do anything. <laughs> and it looks like, it looks like he's shooting a bowling ball for <laughs> sure. And <laughs> in those cases, it does not work. Anyway, my point is you've got those guys involved in the pick and roll. They're finishers, yeah. right? They're catching lobs. They're, they're catching bounce passes, whatever. But like they're trying to score when Mikhail is in that position. The Suns are interested in leveraging his, Um, advanced ability at least compared to those two as a decision maker and to put the ball on the floor again and to continue to create advantages, find cutters, find shooters, do whatever he has to do. You asked about why are they running that with um, mostly with McHale paired up with Chris Paul and not with Booker. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'd be interested in maybe kind of continuing to watch for that pattern I, I, they're uh, progressing tr- as well and see it's new but if, you know we should say it's just like new the,
1: for the Suns to do this i think they're going to do a lot more with it as the season progresses
2: yeah and just like you know philosophically like what what my hypothesis would be when you've got all three guys on the floor at once if you've got a chris paul Devin, um or sorry yeah if you if you've got chris paul and mikhail bridges running screen uh, and then McHale goes to the middle of the floor, or if he's, whether he sets a hard screen and makes contact, or if he slips, if he then catches in the short roll in the middle of the floor, you can run Devin Booker as a decoy first, yeah. which I think the Suns have done in some of those sets. It's an expensive decoy, book- coach. That's a,
1: that's a famous Devin Booker quote. It's an,
2: ex- <laughs> it's an expensive decoy, but he's willing to do it. He's, he's shown that he's like, this is why he's the most he's so sacrificial great. Yeah. superstar, yeah. as I've called him in the past, the most sacrificial superstar in the NBA. Um, he's willing to do it, and he's also just so 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 much more valuable as an off-ball threat than Chris Paul is. Where if Booker's the on-ball guy, Bridges is setting that screen, and Chris Paul is like off to the side, you know, I don't know, spotting up on the wing, like it just it doesn't work in the same way. Uh, you don't have the same uh, kind of value spaced out on the yeah, perimeter for yeah, Kale Bridges as like options. Yeah, um, well, to, I, I, th- that would just be the hypothesis. I thing,
1: like but. it. I think that makes a lot of sense. A couple, you know, it's just. It's a, first of all, Chris Paul is shooting twenty three percent from three so far this season. So like you know, yeah, uh,
2: and I I, th- I think we've got plenty of proof so far that Chris is for all he's good at is not exactly killing it as an off ball. Yeah, threat I think he'll
1: year. get better. I really do. So we you know we can talk about him later if you want. But a couple more things on Mikhail Bridges as a screener. Like first of all, um, they hide defenders on him on Mikhail Bridges you know, so often the worst defender on the floor is on Mikel. So that means if he's coming and and being involved in the screen action, he's putting one of the worst defenders on the other team into that action, which I think is just smart, just from the perspective of picking on the pigeon, as the Suns called them in the playoffs previously, just involving a player who might make a decision that benefits the Suns a little bit more. So, you know, it just makes sense to use him as a screener. Another thing on that is they've done it a lot so far this season without DeAndre in on the floor. Uh, you know, I think I only found maybe, found maybe one or two instances of using Mikael Bridges as a screener with DeAndre Ayton on the floor. I think both of them were in the Warriors game where Steph Curry was the one that was guarding Mikael Bridges. So you're just trying to involve Steph Curry in the action. I don't see any reason to not do it with DeAndre deandre and on the floor more you just you know it's okay to use deandre and first of all deandre and can stretch it out a little bit more if you need that mid-range shot and even occasionally take a corner three if absolutely necessary but as we've seen with Deon- with I, sh- I should say draymond green they run it with bigs on the floor pretty regularly and mm-hmm. and what they do is he throws lobs draymond green will throw a lob to a big that's just sitting in the dunker spot and yeah. I think did DeAndre will play? work fine
2: with that, as they did with Biombo. I'm at, Yeah, I'm asking rhetorically, did you see the play? But I know you did because I saw you posted it yeah. where they had Biz on the floor and Biz stood in the corner as McHale oh, came yes. up to set the screen and then he caught it in the middle of the floor. He threw a... Uh, th- th- that play, to be honest with you, that play only worked. It ended with a Cam Johnson corner three. It kind of only worked because Houston's defense was just so out of well, sorts and, and way too... Way too young and way too inexperienced. I know, but I'm I'm saying like that particular play. I think they had Shang-Goon back, and he was supposed to like he should have stepped up on bridges, and and in fact I'm sure he would have done that. But like Jalen Green left his man instead, and then all of a sudden they were out of they're out of rotation, and they were they were toast. Well, see, that's but that's
1: funny, that's the whole thing about it, right? It becomes you know, the Suns have an advantage because they're playing against three defenders. It becomes four on three. So when Biz no, cuts from the I, corner, even if Shengun steps up, that's when the lob opens up for Biz. So as long as the cut is properly timed, I think it could still work even without a shooter.
2: Right, yeah, no, I just, I, I guess I just mean to say, you know, it's one thing to do it against the Rockets. We'll see it against, say, yeah, the, absolutely. The, the Warriors in the rematch next time, right? And the, they did it they, against the Clippers against and they did it against the Warriors too. a couple too. weeks. You know, like it did but, happen. But also... But yes, just that you saw Biz like <laughs> positioned to shoot a corner three. And then immediately, as soon as like Mikhail starts coming in, he sprints towards the dunker spot because he knows that's where he actually has value. But I appreciated the fact that the Suns were even willing to position the players in in such a way, um, just because it's so unique. And I think you you definitely could see maybe some opportunities opening up there for DeAndre Ayton to be playing the five and hey maybe he gets a couple corner threes out of it I don't know if that's a shot that he's been working on a lot but uh but McHale could come up set the screen DA could be in the corner I'm sure he you know would also have the temptation to sprint into the dunker spot and like that's where he would be more comfortable but uh the the more spacing that Ayton can give you I think the better this works as well so we'll see how it works when he comes back
1: yeah I mean ideally it becomes a lob for DeAndre and that's just just a perfect shot <laughs> you know it's like a guaranteed two points most of the time if he can get his hands on the ball so uh you know i just think it's really cool to see them experimenting with things this early and on the other side of that it's working you know none of this stuff has looked ugly so far they've even when deandre ayton was healthy and playing at the start of the season they were giving him the ball more in the short roll as well more with devin booker on the ball um, so I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I think even we'll talk about the bench in a little bit, but even as you start mixing up the different players on the floor, you can find ways to do it with five out, and uh, which they did do in this last game against the Rockets when Torrey Craig came in because every big was in foul trouble, and there's just some interesting things that you can do in those scenarios when Mikhail Bridges has so much space, and it just it just makes sense and for another reason because he's just so good at basketball. He has great feel for the game so when he's catching it in the middle of the floor there's no sense of panic in in his game he can attack the rim if he needs to he can fake the pass if he needs to he can swing it to the corner three-point shooter he had one great pass to Devin Booker I believe at the top of the wing on one of those plays that was a pretty hard bounce pass around a defender and like all of that is already in his game you're not really necessarily teaching him something new for this to work you're just sort of utilizing the skills uh that he already has i want to ask you about something though
2: uh okay i want to bring up something too oh do you
1: have something on that go first. ahead because i was going to change the subject is, is
2: your thing on mikhail no is your no thing on mikhail? no I, okay then i want to i will get to it maybe after the break if that's okay i want to spend a few minutes just a few minutes here because yeah. we said all the good things about mikhail i think we need to nitpick one okay thing. he we he's got so many skills And here he is, and currently as it stands today, he's averaging a career-high 15 points per game, career-high 71% true shooting. Awesome. He's playing the defense. He's doing the stuff. Um, What do we have to do to get him to take more shots? Because I don't know if you saw the stat I posted Mm -hmm. earlier today. Out of the rotation players, like the full-time rotation players on the Suns currently, he ranks 7th in field goal attempts on a permanent basis, a per 36 minute basis specifically was what I posted. He's averaging fewer field goal attempts per 36 minutes uh, than Landry Shamet, far fewer than Cam Johnson. Uh, he's at 9.7 attempts per 36 minutes. That's barely above Damian Lee, who is at 9.6 mm. attempts mm. per 36 minutes. Chris Paul also at 9.6 attempts per thir- uh, per 36 minutes. And he's like the guy that we think of as he's not shooting. So here's Mikael Bridges, they're using him more as a screener, and and, uh, in addition to all this by the way, he's also shooting the fewest number of threes of his career, uh, despite the fact that he's making so many of them when he actually does shoot. So they need him to be more involved offensively, they are involving him offensively in terms of leveraging his decision making, his playmaking. But he could also you just get the sense that he could be scoring so much more. You get the sense that he could be averaging twenty points per game right now with the way he's playing, and he's just not because he's not taking those extra three or four shots that it seems to me, from my perspective, it would be easy for him to seize. What do you think about that so far with McCabe? i I think conceptually I agree with you.
1: But watching the games, I just haven't really felt like there has been a lot of shots that he's been turning down, and I would say even more beyond that, I think he's taking some more contested threes than he has been uh, in the past. So I agree with you. I think that I think it's more of a almost like a team thing than specifically Mikael Bridges' thing. I think the team needs to find more ways to have him involved as far as using him as a uh, more of a scorer, and maybe that means just because right now we're talking about using him as a screener, it's not happening a lot.
2: Like it's five times a game, four or five times a game, maybe. Yeah, it, it used to be like once a game, yeah. maybe, and now it's like three or four. Maybe it should I be ten. The type of thing, you know. Think. Maybe it should be more than that. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, that's uh, that that's the actual Draymond Green formula, yeah. right? Like like Steph and Dre at, at their peaks, at least, didn't do that three times a game. They did it ten, and it was all they in the fourth 15. quarter, yeah, <laughs> or the it's yeah. all in the end of
1: the second quarter and end of the fourth quarter so you know I do think you're right I I do think you're right that the as a team they need to find ways to get essentially their most most efficient shooter right now their most efficient scorer I mean, like, right now, more opportunities on the ball as far as shooting but you know I, I just the way he's been used offensively I have not been angry about but scaling up more makes sense to me
2: the same number of shots as Damian Lee all due respect to Damian Lee who hit the game winner on in his <laughs> son's debut but you know like you just look at that and there's something wrong. Well, there. I mean, like, there's something very wrong. I
1: do think that there is some element of when you start Draymond Greening Mikael Bridges it means less shots kind of, right? Because if he's the one screening, I think the defense yeah. is going to converge on him. He's not the one open in the corners anymore. He's the one creating those passes to the sh- the players open in the corners. You know, Draymond Green doesn't get a lot of shots and they're not going to leave him in the same way that they leave Draymond Green at the three point line. So, you know, maybe I, think, I don't know. It's interesting. I
2: think kind of I think maybe, but kind of counterintuitively, I think that might not be the case because in general, a guy who handles the ball more is going to score more. Like even if you're putting him in these situations where typically he's going to pass, a guy who's going to be your short-roll playmaker might touch the ball fi- I'm just throwing out random numbers, right? But might touch the ball 50 times a game whereas your corner shooter who just stands there might touch the ball 25 times a game. And if you if you just touch the ball more, like naturally, there should be a scores mindset somewhere deep inside of Mikhail Bridges yeah. that is going to see the openings. Like, you know, maybe it only happens every fourth or every fifth time they run yeah, that play. It's the rim, but he, the he's defense, gotten to the rim the quite a bit. Opens up actually, and he gets to the rim yeah. right. So I I don't know. It's like it's no one thing with him. Like it's not. And and again, he's having a great season. Like he's not doing anything bad. I just feel like we're leaving a lot on the table still. Where, you know, he could shoot more threes. Um, The transition, I think, has been really good. Like He's always been an incredible transition player, and I think that's completely been up to the same standard so far this season. So it's just like a little bit more transition, maybe a little bit more scoring uh, in the pick and roll. And I don't don't know. I just feel like we're leaving something on the table. I just want to broach the subject because I think other people are are asking the same question. If
1: he stayed at 15 points a game, but then he was at like 4.2 assists per
2: game, would you be happy in that case? I mean, that's kind of what I've always... um, yeah, that's kind of like what I always expected. A Michael Bridges prime to look. It's more like, like Batum. We're talking about, or, like, you know, it's very Batum esque. Yeah, what it's, did it's what like, did but,
1: Marion average here? I am gonna look that up because Marion
2: got up to twenty one. Yeah, he got pretty high. Marion got up to twenty one in the season without Stoudemire twenty one point two seasons, points per game. Yeah, in the seasons with Stoudemire, he was even still at like nineteen or twenty a couple times, I think. And that is quite a bit in his in his seasons that he.
1: Was on Phoenix over the course of the entire time until he was traded 18.6 points per game. Yeah, that's quite a bit. And I don't, it's just, he doesn't really have that same mentality as far as scoring.
2: But also, Marion got an automatic six points. Offensive six rebounds? Points every game. <laughs> on offensive yeah, rebounds. That's a good and Mikhail point. just, that's not Mikhail's game. I mean, he can get one. The entire time, <laughs> but, this is
1: kind of crazy to look at his stats. The entire time he was here in Phoenix, he was averaging over two offensive rebounds per game, including his rookie year when he played 24 minutes per game. <laughs> it's pretty wild. He's just so, so good at getting those offensive yeah. rebounds. I mean, Mikel's yeah. getting better at rebounds. I will say, like, you can see the intent for him to attack the glass a lot more this season.
2: Yeah, but uh, Marion was the quickest. Yeah. He was the quickest second athletic leaper yeah. ever. I, I mean I'm not that particular thing especially like his second jump I'm not sure if I've seen anyone better than Sean Marion yeah. since he retired let's uh
1: NBA. let's take let's take a quick break and come back and continue on some more things I want to ask you about we'll be right back
2: maybe Jared Vanderbilt
1: Alright, before we get into the rest of what I want to talk about, I just want to quickly mention that both of us were out of town basically the last three weeks and we're back in our normal basketball watching mode now and that means that we can do games on playback. We can watch games with you guys and I didn't want to say this at the end of the episode in case people missed it so I'm just going to say it now. This Friday... The Suns are playing the Portland Trailblazers. The plan is for Sam and I to watch that game on playback with you. For those who have never joined us, for one of those, we're just watching the game with you. We're there as like secondary announcers to talk through the game. There's a chat that gets pretty lively. We would love it for you guys to join us. For those, we've called it Friday with the fellas. In the past, we try to do every Friday game, and that begins this Friday against the Portland In Trailblazers. Case, um
2: in case that sounds chaotic for anyone who's never used the platform, first of all, I highly, highly, highly encourage you guys to turn out. Um, for the playback streams, they're, uh, we used to ha- make them exclusive for members of our Patreon, but this year they're entirely open to everyone. So as long as you can properly authenticate with some sort of cable subscription or League Pass subscription, you are good to go. Um, but yeah, I highly encourage as many people to turn out as possible just because they were really fun last year. We called the Cam Johnson game winner versus the Knicks that was one of our playback broadcasts last year and was probably uh definitely my favorite regular season moment of the year I think yeah Mike it's safe to say that was super super fun um but yeah for anyone who's never used the platform before in case it sounds kind of chaotic there will be the normal broadcast announcers and then you can also hear our voices over them but there's kind of like an audio mixer thing um that is controlled by the user as part of the user interface where you can mute the original broadcasters or you can mute us yeah <laughs> if for whatever reason you wanted to so you can kind of rearrange it your own way so that you hear only the parts and see only the parts that you want to see in here so it should work out it's but yeah if you've never used it before this friday night will be a great time to start it's
1: a good way to get incredibly sun's homer uh <laughs> actual analysis That's that's actually analysis like we try to actually you know obviously we want the Suns to win but we still provide some level of analysis Uh, Sam right now the Suns have the fourth best defensive rating in the NBA their offense is second best number one net rating because they kind of pummeled some teams in this last week more than they won every game by more than 10 points. I want to talk about the bench, but before we get to that, I want to ask you about the defense because as we talked about in our preview episodes leading up to the season, the expectation was that the offense would get better, which by the way it has, and the defense would slip a little bit. So far, both have been top of the NBA. They're both incredibly good. I think the offense could hold. You know, I think the Suns could still have one of the best offenses in the NBA, and we'll talk about how the bench could impact that in a second. But before we get to that, what do you think about the defense? Can the defense hold? Because I'm watching, I'm watching them play right now, and I'm like, this is—they're still really good defensively, even without Jay
2: Crowder so far. What do you think? Well, what's interesting about it? So, I, I guess my short answer to your question is yes. I think the defense can hold. I don't think it's going to look exactly like it does right now for the remainder of the season, though. And what I mean specifically by that, if you dig down into the defensive ratings, like the individual numbers so far, um, it's really been the bench that are they're the They're the defensive. I mean, it may not look like this on every possession. You know what I mean? Like Mikhail Bridges uh, had an absolute masterclass performance locking up CJ McCollum the other night is, is one example that I would think of. Uh, But overall, like the guys with like an 80 defensive rating right now, it's like Jock Landale Mm -hmm. uh, campaign. It's 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 the bench guys. And I think a lot of that so far, they can continue to be good, uh, especially if they continue to play with the type of energy that has really impressed me so far. I don't think they're going to continue to do that. Uh, But on the flip side, I think the starters who mostly have good but maybe not elite defensive ratings so far, I think theirs could get better. So I think it'll even out somewhere in the middle, and and basically they'll continue to be, yeah, pretty good.
1: Yeah, And I, I, I think so too because I'm watching it thinking, I think there's some level of small sample size opponents that they're playing. Like if Kawhi Leonard was, I don't know what he's going to be this season, but if he was more like what we thought he was going to be, maybe that defensive rating wouldn't quite be the same. He came off the bench weird rotation things going on with the Clippers so far this season you know and I thought they played really great defense against the Warriors even with Cam Johnson on the floor you know because they're so good offensively in their starting five and I think the bench like you said the bench was still great in that game and, and like and we'll talk about them in a second but it's just something that feels kind of sustainable so far which I don't know if it will be maybe I'm being overly optimistic about it. Um, but I have been surprised with how good the defense has been. The offense, I think I, I, to, to some extent, the offense was, was shaky at first and yeah. then kind of clicked in after a few games.
2: I don't know. It, it's weird. Like, I do feel like, especially that bench unit, when they play campaign Landry Shaman and Damian Lee together, which is something they've done a, a few times now, especially in the past week, as they start to, I guess, as Monty starts to gain more trust in those guys, it's like, I feel like they really are punching above their weight defensively a little bit. Like they're getting stops, but how they're getting stops with such a um, such a lack of length, I guess you could say. Especially kind of like once you get to that two, three, four position, some of those guys in that wing rotation, yeah. um, it's pretty impressive. Like they're so smart. They're so smart. They are really smart. I, I mean, Cam. Should we just talk about the? Yeah, Transition here. It's like, perfect.
1: Perfect transition. Yeah.
2: Yeah, campaign has been great. So good for the past really to start the start the season I guess you could say but particularly in the past few days and it's good to see him uh I, I I guess it's good to see that Cam's confidence never waned and that he's continuing to play the specific brand of basketball that I think made him so successful in the first place um and and also like I guess that just shows on both ends of the floor like there have been a lot of times the the thing about Cam he's not like He's not dominating every possession offensively in the most efficient way possible. He's not like Mikhail Bridges to start the season where he has like this absurd through the roof true shooting percentage. You know, he's he's a little more streaky, naturally, right? He's he has some games where he finishes well at the rim and then he has other games where he turns it over a couple times Mm -hmm. and and whatever. But what's mostly impressed me about campaign to open up the season, when he struggles offensively, he's more than earning it back on the defensive end. Um, harassing guys who are, like, much bigger than him, poking at balls, being really disruptive, um, get you know, racking up a lot of steals, essentially, um, and just not allowing anyone to bully him on defense or, or even attempt to play him off the floor. Yeah. Even in those types of lineups like I was talking about, when he's sharing the court with other guards, other guys who have, like, a 6'4", 6'5", wingspan, he's just been really, really steady. And, um, yeah, his energy has been crucial because he, like, is... He's the key to the bench right now.
1: Yep, he, he really is. And, you know, we've talked, we've joked so much about Dario Sharage unlocking the bench or unlocking Cameron Payne, and it's it's clearly uh, the other way around, except that Dario Sharage isn't playing. And what I mean by that is Cameron Payne just sort of unlocks everything. He kind of, at, at, right now, the bench is playing really well. And that's kind of the thing that I wanted to talk about just in general. Jock Landale rocks. He's just really solid and really amazing. Biz has been a really great, Replacement DeAndre Ayton in the starting five can do about sixty percent of what DeAndre Ayton does, but that sixty percent that he does, he does really well, and that has been really nice for the Suns in the minutes he played against the Pelicans and the Rockets. We'll see how it works against a team like the Timberwolves coming up with really big lineups. But don't pretend that you respect the Timberwolves. You're not allowed to do that. I, I, do, I Can we just talk? We'll talk about them in a second. Their schedule has been bizarre. For the, they <laughs> they played the Spurs three times already in this and the thunder twice and the other game that they played besides the Spurs three times and the thunder twice was the Lakers like and they're and they're like four and three in that stretch and I know it's gonna be complicated to work all those pieces together the Timberwolves but like I can't imagine having that kind of cupcake schedule so far (laughs) I think they played the jazz it's all just been a bizarre start for them so far but we'll talk about them at the end of this podcast All of what the bench has been doing so far works because Cameron Payne is playing well. If Cameron Payne is not playing well, it doesn't work. The whole bench needs a good offensive player, uh, an engine, to let it run. And right now it is working. And it is working because Cameron Payne is working. And, you know, to Payne's credit too, it's not just what he's doing on the ball. You know, you talked about defensively. But also when Devin Booker's on the floor, he's been a really good off-the-ball player uh, just with his catch and shoots, or being that secondary playmaker that can do things in a pinch when the shot clock is running out, and I think if he continues to play well, it, it just it, the first of all the Suns will win. He's plus thirty three on the season so far. They'll continue to win if he continues to play well because the majority of the time he plays so far, they're outscoring their opponents. And even if they get outscored slightly with him on the floor. The starters will more than make up for that, I think, when they play in most cases. Uh, But the luxury that it provides James Jones to not have to panic trade Jay Crowder right now to fix the bench is actually kind of huge because, you know, right now we have Jay Crowder not playing $10 million of salary. We have Dario Saric not playing $10 million of salary. And to the extent that I am wondering if Dario Saric not playing is trade-related, that has gone up. <laughs> I am wondering I, I about that as well. I'm glad you.
2: I'm glad you brought that up actually, because I was thinking about asking you that, but then I I forgot. Yeah. So it's. I had that same exact thought. It, there was the two big. is foul weird?
1: trouble, and he didn't even get on yeah. the floor?
2: Yeah. I I mean, like, yeah. The Tory Craig. They brought in Tori Craig to play small ball because Ish is still dealing with uh, back issues yeah. too. So like, Monty's options were really limited, and he still didn't play Dario last game. And yeah, you have to wonder at that point, like. Is it is I I don't know, like, is there something in the works that is close and we just don't know about it? It's possible. But the fact
1: that the the bench has not been a train wreck means that the Suns can kind of hold on to that 20 million dollars of salary that they have right now that they're not using and try to hold out for. You know, we talked about the, the Western Conference teams not starting great. That's good for the Suns. You know, that's good for the Suns, not just that they can get some wins early, but also these teams will start panicking at some point they will and the suns can use that as leverage being that they have at least one good player in jay crowder that they're able to trade right now and one asset in dario shards that's expiring that they could potentially use as well and if the the bench continues to play well they can continue to hold out and that is a nice luxury for james jones to have so shout out to campaign he's been playing really well
2: Shout out to Dario Sarch too, by the way, who's not complaining about not playing. Yeah, it's odd. It's very odd. I don't know what's happening. maybe I, he's just bad now. You know, it could just is be there as simple any? As that. Is there a, practically speaking, is there any difference between the Dario charge the the situation that Dario Sarch finds himself faced with, and and the situation that Jay Crowder it's, finds it's himself? It's the inverse of it, right? <laughs> yeah, but both guys. I mean, both guys are expiring deals. Is Dario actually? Is he an expiring deal? Yeah. does he have one year left? No, I believe he okay. is. Yeah. So both guys are expiring deals. They want money next season. They need to play. But one guy's there on the bench. He's still cheering people on. And the other guy just refuses to show up. Yeah. Anyway, it's just- I don't need to shit on Jay too much. But it's just, you know, kind of, I hadn't thought about the parallel between the two guys. Um, and then, you know, to be my typical self. Here's my comment about it for the week that I think I've made every week. You also have Landry Shamit's $10 million there, too. <laughs> I actually think... He's been good. In, La- in Landry's defense, I actually think he's been fine. Like the, There was full uh,
1: all-bench lineups in the last two games, which obviously in the Houston Rockets you can do that, and in the Pelicans short You know what he did? Do. But the full
2: bench lineups worked in the last two games. He actually had a really great chemistry, I noticed, with Jock. Um and by the way, do we have like a nickname for Jock Landell yet? Uh,
1: not really. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, Jock is a great g- name. <laughs>
2: you know, like he's, his name's Jock. His name's Jock. I mean, like, yeah, we, we need to. Oh, you did one, like, you were talking about Jock. I, I don't really know. What oh, what you, you said Landale? Local...
1: <laughs> yeah, like Andale. <laughs> no, I wasn't think. I was
2: not thinking about that. I was thinking about what you did with the Jock uh, Glendale. Jack oh stuff. yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. But but There's I don't know There's rumors what those that would be. that's what
1: uh, Suns players call him,
2: Jock scottsdale or something like that or jock glendale jock glendale yeah. <laughs> i don't know um anyway landry made some nice passes to John no but Gull- actually something you're talking about there
1: there is somewhat of a duncan robinson uh you know bam Adebayo a bio pitch back back and forth between those two guys on dho's that they've sort of been working on the last few games with landry shaman obviously it's a very light Version of those players. Well, I don't know. Maybe not Duncan Robinson, (laughs) but uh, you know, some chemistry built with Jock Lando who's a great screener, and Landry Shamit using those screens to get open, running around them is things that we've been asking for with Landry Shamit because uh, you know it just didn't really work with. And maybe it's a speed of movement thing with Javale McGee, but it didn't really work with Javale McGee. And by the way, Landale just rocks. He's just so solid, constantly sprinting up and down the floor, great around the rim, good on offensive rebounds. This is another thing about the bench I think that's been kind of fun is that the combination of Jock Landale, Torrey Craig, and even Damian Lee chasing down rebounds off the bench has been really great. They've been good at offensive rebounding. And you just watch them all play. And I think something that... I took for granted when thinking about the bench and this is part of our Damian Lee conversation we had before the season was like, "What? what is he for? Uh, he's, he's 30 years old and he has a lot of experience playing on good teams. And I think maybe I took that for granted and just like how much stability that brings to guys on the bench and just the locker room presence that he likely has as a result of that and the lack of panic, the lack of fear that yeah. the Warriors probably helped instill in him. And I think you could see that when he plays on the floor, and he's been, you know, just a smart, good player who's not great, but just doesn't really make a lot of mis- Kind of Etwan Moore esque when you know that we had with the Suns. Not the yeah, same kind of player, but you know, better. Yeah, better. I think.
2: Uh, Etwan, I wanted Etwan Moore to be good, but I think it just never really. Yeah, he's, out he's that done well. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It, well, it's kind of interesting with Damian Lee, as long as we're on the subject with him, right? Because like those first few games mostly in preseason i was i i expected josh akogi to play this year you know and and he might still he definitely might still but so far josh akogi is very plainly third string for the suns yeah damian lee is very plainly second string and i guess that surprised me at first that decision but i think we underrate lee's ability to just be so solid yeah. as i mean this just is like, not be bad <laughs> just not be not bad great and, and but not bad and, you know spacing i think both for monty and james jones this year as um an emphasis a point of emphasis just don't put guys on the floor who can't space a little bit um unless you really can't avoid it in which case yeah you can throw josh Kogi out there but like you know lee shoots his 35% from deep or whatever and he's he's fine he can hit catch and shoot threes perhaps even more importantly you can run interesting sets when you have him and Landry on the floor at the same time which they've done a couple times where like you're setting some sort of cross screen or down screen for one and then a pin down on the other, on the other side of the floor at the same time. And you just like, you watch the two of them play together and it's just a lot of movement on the basketball floor, uh, on the basketball court, excuse me, at once. Uh, and like, that's interesting, even on the possessions where it doesn't necessarily lead to anything or if they miss the shot or whatever, it's just kind of conceptually interesting what you can do with those two guys. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm holding steadfast to my opinion that Damian Lee could do the job of Landry Shamit for a fifth of the price, which still makes <laughs> Landry expendable. That being said, I have no actual complaints about how either guy is playing right now. They're, they've they both been good. I
1: think I will, just, I will just maintain that the bench looks great right now, and the fact that it's so predicated on how, how well Cameron Payne is playing so far is good and bad, in that it's good because he's playing well, It's bad because he played bad last season and we have evidence that he played bad last season. So like my confidence level in what the bench is and what they can be this season is higher now than it was before with a tinge of, of fear that maybe the floor falls out of under Cameron Payne at some point. Although I feel more, much, much more confident in him being good than not good. Speaking of point guard panic, how worried are you? What level of panic are you at with Chris Paul currently shooting really badly from the floor?
2: <sighs> um, Low. I Yeah, I still think it's low. I mean, it's nuanced, though, like all things, right? So I, I think we've seen a couple examples already of Chris doing his thing in the mid-range, even late in games at critical points in the game. And you just watch him. He gets to his spot gets the defense on his hip and you're like yeah he's fine I really think his mid-range shot is not going to go away I I I just can't think of any logical reason why it would I think the only thing that it's reasonable maybe to worry about with him is in order to make the Suns offense work this year everyone else is handling the ball a little bit more and Chris is handling the ball a little bit less and he needs to be an off-ball threat arguably in some lineups and you know, is he is that ever going to happen this season? I'm just not sure. I You know, I that's mostly based on that I'm not sure we've seen the evidence for that ever in Chris Paul's career that he could be that off-ball threat. So, I don't know. I guess, like, kind of my answer there overall is just I think the mid-range is going to regress back to where it usually is, which is to say really good. I think the three-point percentage, this might not end up being his best season three-point percentage-wise, but where he ultimately ends up I couldn't say.
1: It's going to be higher than it is now. Uh, 23.8%. I mean, right (laughs) right now
2: it's 24.
1: It's going to be higher than 24. Yeah. I think I I agree. Uh, You know, uh, the reason I'm not panicking yet is because I think he's going to get better. I think he'll play better as the season progresses. And the other real reason is that everyone else is playing so well. With Chris Paul, you know, when the Suns signed him, when the Suns traded for him, this the idea that he was going to be the same Chris Paul was never in our minds that he was just going to be as good as he was in 2021 the entire time he was on the Suns no we never thought that not you and I at least and so we knew that the Chris Paul regression would come at some point and we've talked about how important it was that the rest of the players start to significantly improve in order for that to not impact the Suns in the worst possible ways. And so far, you know, this is sort of the hashtag internal development season. It it wasn't last season. It's this season so far. And if that continues, then I'm less concerned. Championship-wise, you know, if the Suns don't make any major trades, obviously they're going to make minor trades as the season progresses. We know that for certain. But it, One would hope. Yeah, if they don't make any major, if they don't make any major trades, then he just has to play better. As the playoffs come in order for the Suns to have any chance to win a championship um, as the season progresses. So that level of concern remains the same, which is what it was before the season started. But it'd be nice to see him get some more three-point shots in at the very least. I think I think I agree with you in that the mid-range is going to come back. But three-point shot-wise, you know he shot 39% when he first got to the Suns. He shot 31% last year, down dramatically. And is shooting 24% this year. So there's some you know evidence that maybe that's just getting worse as he gets older. So we'll see how it impacts him so far. Nice to see him still dishing though because he is absolutely still dishing, leading the league in assists so far this season. Still a valuable yeah. player on the Suns.
2: And creating those advantages like even to create those passing lanes at his age with his uh limited burst, I guess you could say at this point, you know, obviously with his height it's always been super impressive that he can get to those spots at 5'11, 6'0, whatever he is, 6 foot with shoes. Yeah. Uh the fact that he's still doing it is amazing. I mean, 15 assists, zero turnovers at his age, that's an accomplishment as well. Looking ahead. Yes. Do you want to look ahead here? Let me read
1: you let me you read you the Timberwolves schedule so I get it right.
2: <laughs> and who they've played <laughs> okay.
1: so far this season. <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder. They won that one. Lost to the Utah Jazz in overtime. Beat the Oklahoma City Thunder again then played the Spurs twice in a row, One, one of them, beat the Lakers and then lost to the Spurs in the third time they played the Spurs. They've lost to the Spurs twice this season and they lost Talk about to the Jazz in overtime.
2: They're- Talk about hashtag internal development, by the way. look, Go look at the San Antonio Spurs and the internal. De- I mean, they're winning games because of internal development over there. I think both Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell are averaging like 20 points per game to open the year.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, the, but the, the Timberwolves are 4-3 and three right now. <laughs> and their wins are OKC, OKC, Spurs, and Lakers. What a weird season for them so far. And yeah. now the Suns are playing know, against them coming up. The Suns are, without question, the first good team that they're going to play so far this season. Qu- quibble about whether or not the Jazz are good on your own. They're not. They're just playing above their heads right now. The Suns are good. And the Timberwolves are playing against the Suns on Tuesday. This is not to say that the Suns are guaranteed to beat the Timberwolves. I have no idea what that's going to look like. It's such a weird team to play. And basketball is so much about matchups that I just find that matchup in particular without DeAndre Ayton to be really interesting for the Suns and really interesting for the Timberwolves. How are the Suns going to play this? Are they going to play extended minutes with Jock trying to stretch Gobert out to that three-point line? And you know what it's going to look like. What do you think so far about the Timberwolves in that matchup? Who guards
2: Cat? Cam Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I guess it has to be. Yeah, I mean, or or are we putting Cam Johnson on Gobert? Oh, that's interesting. And then and then Jock or Bianbo or or Biz or Biz maybe it's probably Biz. It's probably Biz goes. Is this the game that you start Jock though? Maybe it should be. Is this the game that you start jock and biz? <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it. I, for the record, I wouldn't do that. But I wouldn't put it past Monty to to try.
1: Dario Shartz just sits on the bench, going, "Why won't I play?"
2: <laughs> As yeah, Tori Craig, kind of funny, uh, plays. I don't know, man. This. I don't think this is going to be an easy game at all. I still have no. some level of faith in. I just. I honestly don't know here. how to judge what the wolves are. So far this season with know. how we- weird their schedule
1: has been and the Jazz playing really well so far and you know they could be 5 and 2 if they just beat the Jazz in overtime and then it's you're looking at them a little differently.
2: And also just talk about a real challenge here for the the Suns perimeter defenders a little bit cuz in Ant, at this point I think he wasn't this last year quite yet or or maybe a couple years ago but now you're talking about a player who really just does have the potential to explode for 40. Uh, and it's not going to happen every night by any means, but it could happen, you know, once a fortnight. And you don't want to be on the wrong end of that. And That's if how you they lose. get one of those yeah. performances. Yeah, I mean, if you they get one of those performances from him, I guess the thing about the Wolves is they don't look like a cohesive product yet, but they just have so much darn talent on paper that you don't want to count them out uh, in any game. Certainly yeah. not this one. So. I think
1: teams like that we'll that made dramatic changes to their roster. It clicks every once in a while, and you know it doesn't click all the time. But it clicks every once in a while, and we'll see how it goes. It's a good way to put it. Uh, but the Suns are entering that game five and one. The next game against the Trailblazers, they play the
2: Trailblazers back to Saturday back Friday and Saturday in a weird. Who will be without Damian Lillard? By the way, oh,
1: he'll still be out by then. Yes. Okay. So should be at least I think not quite think the same revenge game. You know, the Suns only have one loss this season, and it was overtime to the Trailblazers. Uh, so. It'll be an opportunity for them to get revenge for that one loss. And who knows? They could end this week with a pretty amazing record after, what is it? It'll be nine games. Uh, So far, so good
2: for the Suns this season. You got anything else to add, Sam? I don't think so. Just reiterating, uh, join us on Playback Friday night. Really excited. Really sorry in, in one sense that we haven't been able to do it. Uh, To open up the season because I know so many of you guys like it, but we're going to try and make it up now and start doing around one of them a week. Yeah, so come and join us. Have some fun.
1: I'm also really excited to do that. I think it'll be really fun. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to join our Patreon, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the timeline. We have a Discord. We all chat in that Discord now that I'm back in town. Back to regular weekly episodes on usually midweek, Wednesday, Thursday for the overtimeline episodes on the Patreon. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back very soon.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?